0: Hello, I want to talk today about two things that we were encouraged strongly. We were rated on it. We were, people walked in our classroom and on an iPad you were rated on it constantly, having rigor and engagement. Let's talk about these two things that we needed to have for students. Let's talk about engagement. Another word that I think would have been apropos for engagement was entertainment. I was reminded of their Nirvana song, you know, smells like teen spirit when it says, here we are now, entertain us. And that's how I felt about the students, that they were there to be entertained. If you didn't entertain them, they had no expectation of learning. Now, this didn't include all of them, but it certainly included a lot of them. How many times did teachers hear from parents, he's bored, he doesn't want to be in your class. This was this was not good. Now, some teachers obviously are more naturally, shall we say, entertaining than others. Some subjects lend themselves to being entertaining more than others. But anyway, that was the... the concern of administration that the students have engagement so when they walked in the room they expected to see every student doing the work being engaged listening if they were doing group work they were all involved i mean really when you think about it is it possible in a classroom of 30 plus students to have every single student always doing what they should be every moment of the day. I don't think so. You you hope for the best. Anyway, so this was part of their plan for about two, three years. They would come in with an iPad with certain questions that they, they would have to answer from their, you know, looking around the room. They would go up to a student and ask them what they were doing. You always prayed that, you know, they would ask the right student. After a while, some of us got smart and put the smart, engaged students near the door because they didn't venture much further than the first group of deaths. So that, that started to help. But, you know, it really mattered to them more than it mattered to us. Because, like, there was this one game that came out that the kids played on their phone that when they answered questions you know they would hit the button on the phone and you know if they were right you know they got like a big explosion on the phone blah 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 and when one teacher started using it and she told another teacher and you could uh, you could obviously understand the engagement would be high here because you know this was good for kids now it only worked on the phone because it was an app So if kids didn't have a phone, they couldn't do this. So then, you know, you sort of get into the idea of, well, was this fair? Because not all students could do this and, you know, okay, maybe they could look over the shoulder of a student who had a phone, but how engaged were they because it wasn't their phone? Anyway, at a meeting, it was brought up that this existed, this app, and, that, you know, students were loving it. So within the week, I would say 80% of the teachers were using it. And guess what happened? Students were simply not as engaged anymore in the app as they were in the beginning. Why? Because almost every classroom they walked into was using the app. It wasn't, it wasn't different. It wasn't new. It wasn't innovative to them anymore. And they knew by that time that it wasn't an app to have fun with. It was an app that made them learn. They figured things out pretty quick. And so I'm not even sure that the app's around anymore because it got so overused by so many teachers all over the country, probably. So engagement, do I hear the word engagement before I retired? No, it sort of went by the wayside after a couple of years. The other word that was always paired with engagement was rigor, and what did rigor mean? Rigor meant that you made them learn and you held them accountable and they learned important things. Now, I'm gonna tell you, and I may have told you this before in a podcast, I'm not sure, I had a administrator who asked me to teach social studies because I had done that before and I said sure I love teaching social studies and he said to me I swear to God he said to me but you don't plan on teaching any dates and facts do you Uh, no he said we want to teach them critical thinking we don't need to teach them anything they can Google That's a waste of time. My third grade son can Google things that he wants to know. Uh Uh-huh. So if I'm going to have them do critical thinking in social studies, yet they have no idea of the time frame, let alone facts that might be helpful, how can they do critical thinking? And when Common Core came out, another thing that Common Core did was it did away with teaching geography. You couldn't teach geography as geography anymore. You had to somehow envelop it into what you were teaching over the year. So let's say if you were teaching about Mesopotamia, you could show them where Mesopotamia was on a map. But The problem was, some of the students, they don't know that there's like seven continents. They don't know where the, you know, the the names of the oceans. They don't know what a compass rose is. They don't know all the basics. (gasps) Oh, I'm sorry, facts. Now, they could Google them, but if you don't know what you don't know, would you even think to Google it? So, they divided up the... Uh, sixth grade and seventh grade curriculum, we stopped around the time of the voyages of, you know, Columbus, we, the Columbian Exchange. So that's about where we stopped. So we did from the beginning of time to the Columbian <laughs> Exchange. Yes, I, I, I dare not kid you, okay? So you can imagine the depth that we went into on all the time periods when you have that much to cover. And it was, you know, it was interesting. Unfortunately, or fortunately, as the case may be, I didn't get to teach social studies that year because of a switch up in teacher assignments. And I wound up teaching ELA, which again, I had never taught before. For those of you not familiar, English language arts, and sixth grade, I can tell you that students did not know what nouns and verbs were. You, we would, I would sometimes start off the year, having them identify nouns and the, you know, the noun and the verb in a sentence. Uh, And let me tell you, hokey pokey. Did you know the was an action word? Anyway, they they just had no clue. And they wanted us to teach... I remember one year they came out with this thing. They wanted us to teach reflexive pronouns. Are you kidding me? They didn't know a noun. They're going to know a pronoun? And not only are they going to know a pronoun, you're going to teach them reflexive pronouns? I'm, these people are not in contact with real life. And then they told us that there was one... um. A couple of units where we had to have them write a paper and they said that we should be able to have them in a two-hour period be able to word process a three-page paper okay this is how the first day goes the hand up yes what's your question honey where's the V oh okay there's the V Hand goes up. How do I get the keyboard to move? Uh, I mean, these kids had absolutely no idea how to type, word process. Yeah, they could text their little hearts out. And that is not a transferable skill to the keyboard. Let me tell you, these kids could not keyboard. But the assumption was everybody has a phone. Everyone text, therefore, they can word process very quickly. Oh, they cannot. And then we had to teach them how to, like, save things, how to print them. I mean, it was a step-by-step-by-step-by-step excruciating process to get them to complete an assignment. Now, when we did things like this in class, like write a paper, I would send home two memos to the parents, the same memo, one for them to read, sign, and return back to school and one for them to keep. On the back was the rubric for the grading. It would have everything that I need, everything that was included in the paper, the due dates, and all the particulars. It was a very sound memo, trust me. So the day the papers are due, of course several students don't have theirs. I would Email the parents and let them know that if their student brought in the paper the next day, it would be minus 10 points. But I was, I would accept it. Next day comes, okay, a few more students don't have, you know, a few, few students bring it in. And then there's those remaining students still don't have it. So now I have to say, okay, if your student brings it in tomorrow, now it's minus 20 points. Okay, but I'll, I still will accept it. Next day comes, a couple more students bring in their paper, but there's still students who don't have their paper. So now I send out an email. If your student brings in the paper tomorrow, it'll be minus 30 points, but I'll still accept it, okay? Students bring in their paper, some of them, okay, minus 30. Now I send out an email. At this point, my, at minus 30 points, three days in, I... Do not have to accept your child's paper. You understand this. This was in the memo. This is the policy of the ELA you know, department. But I will take your student's paper tomorrow and that will be minus 40 points, 60 is passing. So if everything else is good, they can pass. I really beg you to have your student bring in their paper that's usually when I would get an email or a phone call from a parent. I remember one in particular, she called me up on that time and she said, "Well, he said he never understood the assignment." And I said, "Well, he was in my class for a week and a half working on it and he never indicated that. In fact, he had several paper, you know, pages done of handwritten notes." I said, "Have him bring in everything that he prepared in class." I'll go through it, and I'll try to give him some credit for the work that he did. And she said, he said he doesn't have anything. And I said, ma'am, he was in my class for a week and a half. He has something. He didn't sit there and do nothing. I can promise you that. Well, he just says he doesn't understand, and you can't expect him to do the work when he doesn't understand it. eh? Did he ever say he didn't understand it? I can remember having conversations with him about the work. He was very pleased with this topic and seemed to be enjoyed the research that he was doing on it. He was just L-A-Z-Y and didn't want to complete it. All he had to do was bring in, if he would have brought in the first day what he had done, he probably could have passed. In the end, He got three zeros because a project like that is worth three zeros. He simply, him and his mother refused to have any of the work come to school. I can't fix that. So that anyway is the story of rigor. Rigor is how hard you make them work without making them work hard because we can't have them work too hard because they'll go home and tell mommy and daddy that you made them do work in class and they didn't like it and that you gave them grades that mommy and daddy and the child were happy with. At one point, our principal insisted that we not give anything lower than a 50. So for all those kids who never handed in their project, they would get a 50. If a kid handed it in on the fourth day, they got a 60. Does this this makes no sense to me. But he said, if we're trying to teach them the lesson of bringing things in on time, don't you think we can do that through other avenues? And we don't have to use the grading system to do that? Uh, how else can we do it? Because the only thing we give them are grades. We don't hold them back for anything. We don't like let them not have their time that they go to do go to places, they have lunch, they're not allowed to work during lunch. I mean, it's ridiculous. All the, you know, incentives that we used to have were taken away and we're still expected to have good results. So anyway, that's my story and I'm sticking to it.